Sunday blessings to you all. This is the Lord's Day, the day of resurrection that commences a new week and offers a new opportunity to be drawn by grace more deeply into the Paschal mystery of Jesus Christ. Through the gifts of the Holy Spirit, may each of us graciously respond to Jesus' invitation to live more deeply his passion, death, and glorious resurrection and ascension, and be drawn into loving communion with God our Father. You are listening to Encountering Jesus with the Church Fathers, a podcast pondering patristic commentary and insight on the sacred scriptures, the sacred liturgy, and living as a disciple of Jesus Christ. I am your host, Father Mark, and I welcome you to this podcast on the 22nd Sunday in Ordinary Time. Guiding us this Sunday in opening the Word of God, once again, is Origen of Alexandria. Regarded as an ancient Christian writer, he undeniably influenced some of the great fathers of the Church, as well as believers and theologians throughout the centuries. He was the oldest of seven children, born around the year 185 into a very devout Christian family. In the year 202, a persecution of Christians broke out, and while many fled, Origen's family remained, resulting in the arrest and eventual execution of his father, Leonidas. At the young age of 17 or 18, Origen penned an exhortation to martyrdom, a work he sent to his imprisoned father with the intent of strengthening his father's resolve to remain steadfast in his witness to Jesus Christ. Following his father's martyrdom, Origen continued his insatiable thirst for knowledge and availed himself of some of the finest teachers in Alexandria. Origen soon discovered a second love, teaching. While Arjun was a gifted teacher in many fields of human knowledge, it was his love of sacred scripture that seized him to the core of his being. The local bishop asked Arjun, in fact, to prepare catechumens for baptism within the context of the Alexandrian Catechetical School, founded earlier by Pantanus and enhanced by St. Clement. Building on their foundation, Origen's contributions resulted in the Alexandrian Catechetical School becoming the premier center for Christian theology. Due to some difficulties with the local bishop, as well as an invitation from the bishops of Caesarea, Origen left Alexandria for the Holy Land. He produced even more commentaries on scripture and honed his allegoric method for biblical exegesis. In the year 250, another round of persecutions erupted under the emperor Dacius. Origen was imprisoned, and according to some of his biographers, Origen was tortured severely and recuperated, only to have the pattern of torture and recuperation repeated. The emperor did not want Origen to die a martyr, but wanted to break 
his faith and commitment to Jesus Christ. Such did not occur, and because of his faithfulness, history has bestowed upon him the title Adamantus, Man of Steel. When the persecutions ended and Origen was released from prison, he died about six months later, around the year 254. Origen was a prolific writer and speaker, and a number of his writings and homilies are extant. On this Sunday, we listen to an excerpt from his homily on Jeremiah, delivered around the year 240, wherein Origen ponders Jeremiah's cry to God that was proclaimed at Mass this morning. In addition, the podcast description also contains a link to this Sunday's blog article reflecting on the cross of Jesus Christ and its significance for Christian living. Permit me also to sound an invitation to check the blog site on Monday. There will be a reflection on human labor, as Labor Day is celebrated in the United States on September 4th this year. September 4th is also the day in the United States when the Sisters of the Holy Family of Nazareth recall the heroic martyrdom of their sisters in the tiny town of Novogrodok during the Second World War. Uh, a blog post will appear on Monday with links that celebrate their lives and their witness to Jesus Christ. And now, an excerpt from Origin of Alexandria's Homily on Jeremiah. Everything recorded about God, even if it may be immediately unsuitable, must be understood worthy of a good God. For who will not say that what is brought up regarding God, that he has anger, that he uses wrath, that he regrets, and that he even now sleeps, does not seem unsuitable? But each of these qualities, with the knowledge to hear dark words, will be found worthy of God. For his anger is not fruitless, but just as his word instructs, so his anger instructs. He instructs with anger those who were not instructed by the word, and it is necessary that God use what is called anger as he uses what is named word. For his word is not such as the word of all others. For of no one else is the word a living being. Of no one else is the word God. For of no one else was the word in the beginning with. That one of whom it was the word even if it was only from a certain beginning. So indeed, the anger of God is an anger of no one else, an anger of none whatsoever, and just as the word of God 
has something of a nature alien beyond every word of everyone else. And what is God and what is a living being while being a word that subsists in itself and what is subject to the Father has an alien nature, so too. Since once it was named as being of God, what is called anger has something alien and different from all the anger of him who is angry. So too his wrath also has something individual. For it is the wrath of the purpose of the one who proves by wrath, who wishes to convert the one reproved through the reproof. A word also reproves, as a word instructs, but a word does not reprove in the way wrath reproves. For those who are helped by the reproof from the word will not need reproof from wrath. I was also saying that a certain regret of God immediately seems unsuitable, since it is written, I have regretted that I anointed Saul as king. But inquire about the regret in a worthy way, and do not suppose that his regret has some sort of relationship to the regret of those who have regretted. For as his word has something special, his anger has something special, his wrath has something exceptional, and nothing in them is akin to words of the same sound. Likewise, also his regret is a homonym to our regret, and a homonym is where the name alone is common, but its concept according to the name of its substance, is other. Thus, only the name of a wrath of God and a wrath of anyone is common, and only an anger of anyone and the anger of God is common. So also, with respect to regret, it should be understood that the one who is able will inquire what does the regret of God accomplish? What has he accomplished? He deposed Saul, who was ruling outside the law. He set up a king for the people, one according to the heart of God. For he said through that good regret, I have found a man according to my heart, David, son of Jesse. But all of these comments are for me a preface, because the beginning of the reading from Jeremiah is expressed in this way. You deceived me, and I was deceived. For let us inquire whether, just as the wrath, which is evil, for all is perhaps the reproving work of God, and the anger, which is severe, for all is perhaps what is called the educative work of God. And while the regret of all of us signifies weakness of reasoning of the person prior to the regret, for God, his regret 
does not signify anything of God, but the regret is taken for things outside of him, we must understand that the deceit of God is another kind from our deceit with which we deceive. What then is the deceit of God of which the prophet, after he understood, spoke, when he stopped being deceived, after he knew the benefit from the deception, You deceived me, Lord, and I was deceived. And first, I will make use of the Hebrew tradition, which has come to us by means of someone who was fleeing on account of the faith of Christ and on account of having advanced beyond the law, and who had come where we live. Now he was saying something which appeared either a myth or a discourse, which could introduce those who hear to, You deceived me, Lord, and I was deceived. He was saying, then, something such as this. God does not tyrannize, but rules. And when he rules, he does not coerce, but encourages. And he wishes that those under him yield themselves willingly to his direction, so that the good of someone may not be according to compulsion, but according to his free will. This is what Paul, with understanding, was saying to Philemon in the letter to Philemon concerning Onesimus. So that your good be not according to compulsion, but according to free will. Thus, the God of the universe could make what is supposed a good in us so that we would give alms from compulsion and we would be temperate from compulsion, but he has not wished this. Hence, not from reluctance or out of compulsion, he enjoins us to do what we do, so that what occurs is from free will. In sum, God seeks a way, in a manner of speaking, whereby one would want to do with free will what God wishes. The tradition then also was saying to me something like this. He wants to send Jeremiah, who prophesies to all the nations and before all the nations to the people. But since the prophecies have had something quite gloomy, for they imparted punishments with which each according to his deserts will be punished. And he knew the choice of the prophet, who does not want to prophesy to the people of Israel what is bad. For this reason, he arranged to say, Take this cup and make all the nations to whom I commissioned you drink. God then ordered Jeremiah to take the cup. But when he urged him in taking the cup of unmixed wine, he says, and I commission you to all the nations with this cup of unmixed wine. But after Jeremiah heard that he was sent to all of the nations, 
as one who supplied them a cup of anger, a cup of punishments, since he did not guess that also Israel was about to drink from the cup of punishment, since he was deceived, he took the cup from which all of the nations drink. And after he took the cup, he heard, and caused Jerusalem to drink first. Since then, it seemed to be one way and happened to him in another. For this reason, he then said, You deceived me, Lord, and I was deceived. Note the resemblance also in this discussion to Isaiah. For that prophet, who does not know what he will be ordered to say to the people, hears God say, according to what is written, Whom will I send? And who will go to this people? And he said in answer, Behold, here I am, send me. But you will not comprehend, and when seeing, you will not see and not perceive. For the heart of this people has grown dull, and so on. Since then, he did not know what he would prophesy, and that he would be threatened such things to the people. He said, Behold, here I am, send me. For this reason, he said in later passages, the voice of one saying, cry. And he did not respond as one willing to do what was ordered, but he said, what will I cry? For he reacted cautiously, lest again he hear something similar to the former prophecy, go and say to this people, you will listen to the report, and you will comprehend. Thus, what will I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its glory as a flower of grass, and so forth. In these words, he heard nothing against Israel. All holy men and women, pray for us. Let us pray. God of might, giver of every good gift, put into our hearts the love of your name so that by deepening our sense of reverence, you may nurture in us what is good and by your watchful care, keep safe what you have nurtured. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. The Lord be with you. May Almighty God bless you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Go and announce the gospel of the Lord. <laughs>